Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. So somehow, Audrey, it became like July. Yeah, great. I love that we're finishing up 2020 already. I don't like how we started it, and I'm <laughs> totally fine with speeding right through it. I would agree I'm with you. about that. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to have go down memory lane of 2020 no. no i'm ready this is an inflection point on every piece of our own fiber as humans yes um in regards to our health in regards to our our work in regards to humanity so yeah. let's get through 2020 we're halfway through I'm it gonna be, man i'm not gonna <laughs> be nostalgic about it i don't want to talk about how it's fall and it's 2020 nope. i don't care okay <laughs> well, but I mean, well, here's the new thing that really has me a little like, it's not, the quite, it's not quite the right time of year, but July 15th is our CIO of the year, whereas normally we hold that thing back in April or March. <laughs> little thing kept that from happening, but we march on anyhow. Right. We're doing our CIO of the year virtually on July the 15th. And best of all, Audrey, it's free. Anybody can attend and learn about and hang out with yeah, our top cool. Yeah, we've just turned it all upside down. So. Yeah. Listen, chief information officers and chief security officers are very often the unsung heroes in most companies. They sometimes have a seat at the executive suite, sometimes they don't. Chief information security officers have had such pivotal roles in terms of their companies, and yet everyone expe expects nothing to break and no leakages to occur. Right. And the same thing on the CIO side. So it's always great when we get to hang out with all these guys when it's not a time of duress and yeah. it's a time of them to just sort of let their hair down. When we've held these CIO events every year, we can't even close the place no, down. Oh, we got kick them out. People are happy to see each other, happy to connect, happy to be a part of their own group. And they actually are happy to be a part of Pittsburgh. So yeah. opening the doors and doing it differently this time was a little scary for all of us. Definitely. We're doing it. We're just plowing ahead. We're doing it. We're staying connected. And in this virtual world, there is a level of intimacy that's very interesting. It's true. So it's true. We're going we're to try to figure it out. We're going to celebrate, try to have a lot of fun, make it short to the punch. And hopefully everyone in our community can get to know who these leaders are. Definitely. And the work that they're doing. So that part's cool. I know. I'm excited about it. I yeah. think it's going to be completely rad. And on today's show, we're doing a double deep dive with Chris Kowalski. He's the CIO of your Choice Award. Every yeah, year. Yeah, which is a big thing. I mean, yeah. that, 
that's really where you get your colleagues who have watched your career mm -hmm. outside of your own organizations uh, become your champion. And that's always great. That's always great. Just when you get your peers to sort of nominate you and then really celebrate what your success has been. So right. I, I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm happy for that. I like to celebrate every little positive moment that we can these days because the, the mood of, you know, our, our citizens, our country, our region, our neighborhoods is so up and down every day. It's a different emotion every day. It's a different reaction. And while we all know this is an inflection point in terms of our time in history, I'd like to see us turn the corner in history and really make the kinds of changes that perhaps we've all gotten too used to, too yeah. used to and too comfortable with and, and, you know, sort of, you know, I don't know, pushed it under the rug perhaps from time to time. And I'm happy to see that a lot of these conversations and actions have, have bubbled up. It's, it's not going to be an easy journey and uh, it's going to, it's going to take a lot and I'm not going to get into politics of it. I really just want to get into the prosperity and equity of it. And that, it. those are the kinds of things that I care about. So, and those are the kinds of things that we're going to, that we work on at the tech council. So I love that we do the business as usuals now every day. Um, they're exhausting, to, but they are really trying to knit the community together on an array of topics. And those topics are things that affect us each and every day. And having like crazy cool people like, you know, the woman that's like lead epidemiologist at Hopkins on our show from Baltimore to um, most recently having um, Poe, who you've done a deep dive with. Yep. Uh, yep. last week you did a deep dive with him on the radio show. What a cool guy. That's like right in our hometown as an immigrant, as an immigrant, whole mm -hmm. backdrop of everything that's happening here. And then we have this hiatus on immigration reform is just incredible for highly educated people. And did yeah. you know that H, you know, while the, the visas that are tied to education and tied to technology, et cetera, are on hiatus for anything new, did you know that au pairs are allowed? So you're allowed your visa if you're an au pair. Wow. Allowed. It makes total sense. So let's, let's talk about in Pittsburgh. Yeah. The highest paid people and the most educated are foreign born. Absolutely. Yeah. Are foreign born. It's stifling to And me. 11% of people who work in, in healthcare are foreign born. And then another 15% that work in tech. Yeah. So you're talking 26% of our region, yeah. you know, and there is a, there's, a, there's a piece of data that says the region has been flattened growth, but we added a hundred thousand foreign born people during that period of time when we were flat. Prepare to shrink. <laughs> so we prepare to shrink. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't make jokes about this, but you know we are at. You know, this this is not this is not intended to be stand up comedy. No, but it feels but like. I am trying to bring some levity to it with some passion, so that people can understand the reality. Right. Of it. No, absolutely. It's, it's. So I have a lot on my mind, as you can tell. I've just gone in three different directions, and uh, I'm glad that we've had a chance to do this show mm -hmm. and continue to, you know, continue to have some guests who are still, you know, 
you know, forging away. Chris is going to be a hoot. He's a good dude and he brings an awesome energy. So I think our listeners have a lot of fun learning about his experience having been around Pittsburgh's tech sector for over 40 years. I mean, that's pretty incredible stuff. And then also, Audrey, we have, we have a BNY Mellon stopping by tonight, which I'm really excited about talking about how they responded so quickly to the COVID pandemic. I mean, I think almost 10,000 laptops distributed. It's <laughs> like just the crazy amount to get know, people right? remote. Right? These guys were so on the ball. And I think you think they have a business plan behind this. <laughs> like, like, like no, they be great. Licensing this great. technology out to help other companies, I think. I'm proud of them. I'm really yeah. proud of them. What a great it goes to show you. Pittsburghers kick some butt. And we like putting a, a little mm-hmm. bit of a spotlight on that here. Right. Live radio and just remind everybody to, you can sign up for our CIO of the Year awards. It costs nothing. Join us virtually. Normally right. it's like a $250 ahead event. It's a big deal, but it's virtual and it's free. Go to pghtech.org, our brand new website that I'm very excited about. And uh, let's make it happen, Audrey. Simple as that. I think uh, we've got some great stories to keep on telling this summer. And like you said, we're keeping this thing positive and we're moving ahead. Yes, we are. Good so stay tuned. Don't go away. Absolutely. Right back with more Tech Vibe Radio. This is Jonathan Kirsting. And Godfrey Russo. And one more time, pghtech.org. Go over there and check it all out and register for CIO of the Year. We'll be right back with a double deep dive with Chris Kowalski. Audrey, I'm saying it right now. We're in for a real treat tonight because we're doing a double deep dive with our 2020 CIO of the Year Choice Award. This is yeah. good stuff. Great. I, 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 I wish we had some music in the background to really play, you know. That would be like good old rock and roll, and you could yeah. slide onto the stage. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> See that? Like you could do a slide. That would be kind of cool, man. I think we should maybe try to do that. And uh, yeah, that would be I'm, good. I'm, I'm CIOs don't get the glory. That's why I like the CIO awards. They They're never, nice. they don't get the glory in their world. So thank you true. so much for joining us. Yes, we have Chris Kowalski here, our CIO of the Year Choice Award. It'll be honored virtually this year on July the 15th, well, which is the first time we've done a virtual CIO of the Year Awards. But Chris, I'm telling you right now, people are very pumped about the fact that we're doing this event and doing it virtually. Because right. I think, I think there's, there's going to be extra people and like this extra energy you're going to get. So well, not I'm, only I'm that, gonna... it's going to be the gift that keeps on giving. Exactly. And that's because it, uh, you can keep watching it over and over or what's exactly. going to keep on yes. So I got to be very careful what's said and how it's said and things of that nature. Oh, absolutely. But here, I just <laughs> want to set the table on this really quickly. And to be, get the Choice Award, you're actually nominated and actually selected by your peers. Right. So yes. that's what makes it even better. And I love sitting in and listening to people when they talk about their peers and there you have it. Yeah. But that's, so, I, I absolutely appreciate it. Uh, you know, obviously it was a bit of a surprise. I didn't expect, I mean, I didn't know uh, anyone was be talking about me this year and uh, you know, I've been retired as a CIO uh, since 2015 to mid 2015 and teaching at Carnegie Mellon uh, since that time. And actually for 33 years teaching at Carnegie Mellon uh, IT management and all the things related to that. So when I got the I got the announcement, uh, you know, in an email, I was I was shocked, surprised, happy, uh, you know, wondering, you know, what's you know what's the next step? Um, who, how did it happen? Who was involved? Things of that nature. So I, you know, absolutely thrilled and appreciative uh, of all those, as you say, the peers, absolutely the peers, and they've they've reached out to me in various forms through LinkedIn and uh, social they, media. They take very things. seriously. Yeah. 
they yeah. take it very seriously. So it was really, it's always cool to sit in and listen to them because I don't vote on that. And so it's yeah. just great. That they, they close the doors and they kind of duke it out for a while and they yeah. come out all bloodied and they're like, here's our winner. It's Chris Kowalski <laughs> this year. And yeah, I'm sure. I'd like, like to see who had the blood on him. That would be interesting. Oh, you know? Lots of them. It was flattering <laughs> everywhere. But Chris, I, I did a little interview with you for our TEQ magazine where we have coverage coming out and your background just kind of blew my mind. I'm like, man, if there's anyone that's been there, done that in the IT world over the past 35, 40 years. It has been you. And that's why I told Audrey, I said, we need to give a little extra space on Tech Vibe to talk about all the work that Chris has done. Because I know you've got some great stories. And we were talking on the phone. You were just like blowing my mind with all things. What story are we going to jump into? I think we should start with Chris's early years. Like what got him into IT in the first place? Yeah, well, you know, that's a good question. Right? It was like the 1920s when you got into this? <laughs> I look that way. We're on Zoom video right now. Nobody can see that. Thank God. But, uh, no, it, it wasn't quite that early, but uh, you're absolutely right. It was close to that. So, uh, you know, it, I, interestingly enough, I was going to, uh, you know, in high school years, I wanted to uh, be an artist and a, uh, a drummer in a rock band, a Rendell's. And I was, I was thinking this is, yeah, I was thinking this is going to be where I was going to go. Okay. Uh, really seriously, you know, we were, you know, things happened. It didn't really work out that well. I was taking art classes at the, the uh, Art Institute of Pittsburgh in summer, in the summer, uh, my summer class we did in the summer and, you know, playing. But that, I had some um, uh, some readings uh, that I came across and I read some things about businesses using computers. And so after graduation, I took some computer classes and uh, continuing my education at Pitt and Carnegie Mellon and uh, fortunately got hired by uh, uh, IBM. And was they put me through a thorough uh, amount of education training. And I had to like programming, coding. Yeah. Okay. And I said, I can't believe I'm getting paid for this. So I mean, I liked it and coding so much. Games. I love that. That's so cool. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's not for everyone. In fact, some of my students, especially undergrad, I say, how many, how many of you want to be coders when you graduate? And, you know, maybe 30% put their hands up. They want to be something else. And it's a very mm-hmm. broad field, as you know. And so, but me, I, I got into the programming and uh, from there um, uh, was able to, uh, you know, I always joke around and say uh, that uh, my penalty for being a pretty good programmer was they put me in management. And so I started, uh, uh, yeah, that's what happens, right? When you put it something, they put you in a bad position like in management. So I actually got into that pretty early. I was a programming manager, then a systems and programming manager. And then I, there was some opportunity where they, they, they needed somebody to run the uh, systems programming group, the operating systems group, and, uh, and plus the data center. So I got that. So I, I I had all these different component parts happening. I loved every different thing that I was doing. I had a passion for what I was doing. And I, I really wanted to take it to the next level, no matter what I did. And, you know, back in 1980, uh, St. Francis General Hospital is what it was called at the time, which was the largest hospital in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Western Pennsylvania, I should say, uh, Southwestern Pennsylvania, uh, wow. had an opportunity to head up IT. And that time it was called data processing, you may recall. And, uh, you know, they hired me at 31 years old. And, but because I had so much of this experience in different areas that they felt I have some capabilities that could be helpful with, but nothing was automated in the hospital as it is to nothing. You know, there was no, seriously, right? Yeah, nurses didn't have computers. Doctors didn't have computers. Uh, there were some instruments in a lab, but they did not interact. They did not have lab computers, did not have radiology computers, did not everything was not integrated. I mean, it was just ground floor opportunity. We had the first ever model IBM mainframe uh, back in 1981. Yeah, it was amazing. And, you know, um, so we went on and on and on. And so 
the digital transformation, you know, started back in the 60s, 70s, and definitely in healthcare in the 80s. Uh, so I was with St. Francis for the, all the episodes of uh, technology being involved to, you know, to, to be able to, to increase the patient care uh, to the next level, to be able to put the tools in the hands of the patient care providers. You know, what I did was to, uh, to, to be able to discuss with my team that we were indirect patient care providers. So what we did was everything we did in IT was to serve the customer and the customers internally and externally. So my career went on and on after that and, and some amazing telemedicine, communication, et cetera, a picture archiving communication. So it, uh, it, we got involved with everything as sort of, a, you can call me a pioneer uh, in, yeah. uh, in, in digital transformation. It was truly digital transformation. Everything was going from automated manual paper to uh, computerization. It's, it's, it was amazing. So what's your, yeah. listen, what is your advice? What, what's your wisdom that's come out of this? You can't boil down a career like this and have just sort of one tagline. But as you have an opportunity and as you receive this award, what are, what are, what's the advice? What are you going to tell other people in terms of your journey? Well, you know, it is a journey. Obviously, it's a journey, and there's a lot of component parts to it. And you have to have vision in terms of what it is that uh, you want to achieve in your career. To, get, to have that vision, you have to have the background, the experience, and knowledge. And it's not something you get, you know, you know, in high school and college. It's a continuing education situation. That's that's where my teaching has been so valuable. For 33 years parallel careers, being a CIO and also an adjunct professor at Carnegie Mellon. Uh, in information technology management, constant learning, constant teaching. Uh, you know, you got to, you got to have the passion. You have to have the vision. You have to. They call this thing the blue flame. You have to have that inside of you uh, to know what it is. And uh, but but you can't just want it. You have to be able to accomplish it through uh, continuing education, through uh, working with others, having mentors, working with people that know more than you. Hiring people that know more than you, thank God for that, that I hired people that know more than me. And I'll tell you what, five of my education management, was a CIO education management, five of my IT leaders have become CIOs. I mean, so when you talk about what kind of a, yeah. Uh, so you talk about uh, uh, wanting to have people around you that can take, can help you to, you know, to, to get that vision complete, to have, to have passion like you do, to want to do more and better for the customer experience, uh, internal and external, uh, that's what you have to do. Be around people that know more than you. Keep learning all the time, uh, learning from them. Teach, coach, and mentor. You know, so take what you know and take it to the other level as well. Great well, stuff. Uh, this is why I said we needed a double deep dive because we have so much more to nerd <laughs> out on. I cannot wait to learn more about your teaching and your, your continuous learning and where you think IT is heading. So we're heading back with more. Chris Kowalski, our CIO of the Year Choice Award for 2020. This is Jonathan Kirsting. And this is Audrey Russo. From the Pittsburgh Technology Council, go to pghtech.org and go register. It's a free event this year. You can attend the CIO of the Year Awards. We want you there to help honor and celebrate guys like Chris. I promised everybody we're coming right back with a lot more. Chris Kowalski, our 2020 CIO of the Year Choice Award winner. The events are happening on July the 15th, all on Zoom. And we're going to make a awesome time out. It's going to be a celebration of some of the most unsung heroes in the tech sector, our CIOs and our CISOs. 
we've got some great candidates this year. I can't wait, Audrey, to find out who the winners are this year, but we know who the Choice Award winner is, and that is Chris Walfie. Chris, thanks for hanging out with us here on TechBot tonight. Yes, thank you, Chris. So Chris was chosen by his colleagues for the work that he's done over the course of his career, and it's quite an esteemed um, honor to do that. And these And all the people that were on the committee were spoke so highly of you and just as a person and as a professional and I think that's what makes this award so you know lovely because it's really about the whole person so we've been talking to Chris a little bit and finding out a little bit about his journey and how he started and data centers and disparate systems and what what the world world was in terms of digitization essentially everyone talks about digitization now it was happening in the 70s and 80s. It wasn't anything new. So you, what did you learn in, in medicine, you know, in terms of that field of healthcare? Like what has surprised you in terms of where we are now and what has not surprised you? Because you were really at the ground floor. Absolutely. Working at what was called St. Francis Hospital. Right. Uh, so St. Francis General Hospital, then it became St. Francis Medical Center, then it became St. Francis Health System, then I spent a little time at Allegheny General and uh, taking over to uh, when they expanded over to Philadelphia. Uh, so that's the healthcare. I spent a little time at St. Clair as well uh, because of St. Francis, as you know, was uh, bought out by UPMC. But uh, what, what, what surprises me now is that we're not further along in terms of the integration of all the different uh, uh, databases within each hospital systems uh, that know about what a patient is, both locally and nationally. Uh, we started back in you know the 80s to develop these databases about uh, results of a patient's uh, you know diagnosis of their uh, illnesses, their um, you know lab results, their all the results of their testing, and so that goes back to the 80s, and that that was shareable information back then. Even with the technologies we had in the 90s, uh, it, we, we transmitted the images in the 90s and uh, were able to able to store this information and, and make some sense out of it in terms of database analytics. Uh, today, uh, there's some effort being done in the analytics portion of using data from the past. Uh, you know, UPMC is doing a lot, a lot in that area as well. I work with them on a couple of projects with that. But what I'm surprised about it is there's not more, and we're not doing more in this uh, this space with the, the amount of data that we have. Uh, it, I guess that gets to not having enough data scientists uh, being produced. There's not enough uh, people that are that are in the various professions that understand and know how to use information that's been all this data has been collected uh, through the many many implementations of the different parts of the healthcare system over a period of time. Uh, it's there. Yeah, uh, it, we can figure out, you know, we can figure out what's wrong ahead of time. We, we could uh, look to see what, uh, what we can do relative to the uh, expert advice from colleagues throughout the countries and the databases, but we're just not there yet. And I think that, that you know, shame on us in that regard. We, we, we started it and, uh, you know, just a lot of, uh, you know, as you said, used the word disparate before, you know, hospitals are disparate in a lot of ways. They don't, don't integrate as well as they could be and should be. There's been some network advances, but not, not like it can be in, in the United States. So what do you think, though? Don't you think from your experience all these years and you teaching and getting a chance to work across so many different strategies, what do you think about COVID? Do you think it's accelerated from where you sit, accelerated some decisions in terms of uh, integration? 
Well, I would think that uh, from the standpoint of development of a vaccine, uh, that they're using a lot more uh, computerization to, to try to determine uh, what works and what doesn't work relative to having you know, people testing and things of that nature. So the, the ability to, uh, to identify you know, regions, uh, we, Carnegie Mellon, as you probably know, uh, has major efforts for identification of uh, hotspots, uh, of uh, uh, the predictions of where things may, may end up in terms of uh, you know, uh, various people uh, being uh, infected. Uh, and, and their ability to be able to be uh, to, to uh, heal and uh, be be made well. Uh, so there's some databases there from that standpoint. Uh, but but I, I think that uh, you know we have the ability to use artificial intelligence much better than we do today. We have the predictive analysis. I think a lot of those um, you know are being spawned off now because of the need because of COVID. Yeah, COVID is not being it's not done. It's, it's uh, right in front of us and it's increasing and whether or not the vaccine is going to be uh, out there for us at the end of the year or beginning next year is anybody's guess at this point they say it will but you know who knows I'm just saying that tell us that but uh, but but I think that to your point uh, I think that what we've started uh, databases that are available in a kind of technology that's available today with machine learning uh, that there's a lot more assistance there that can be done that uh, we just need to get to that and, and, and do it now in your career in healthcare across different settings, has there ever been this kind of outbreak or this kind of medical situation or health situation that you were immersed in? I mean, I'm trying to think about what, I mean, was it AIDS? Was it, we probably didn't get hit with Ebola. Um, I don't know how, you know, SARS. Had well, you been part of anything that had this kind of frenetic, frenetic? I, I guess there was the bird flu that was scaring people back in, yeah, back H1 in was it 2002 or so, or three. Right. You know, from a CIO perspective, I was scared to death. Figuring, you know, back then we didn't have as much cloud as we're talking today, and how people were going to come in and you know keep the computers running and things uh -huh. of that nature. That was a real scare back then. But from a healthcare standpoint, I, I don't, I really don't recall any type of disease that you know that uh, uh, took that kind of focus as we have today. Uh, but we did have. We always had the need to uh, try to figure out uh, what we can do better with uh, the, the medications that were given uh, to patients. And like for for example, it was a big project that was done at, uh, uh, several years ago to figure out why bleeds and uh, uh, were happening. Uh, and uh, after surgery for, uh, or for like knee and hip and things of that nature, oh. and looking at all the medications that were given before the surgery, during the surgery, and after the surgery to see what was going on for clots and bleeds. And uh, as it turns out, after all this analysis and artificial intelligence, machine, machine learning and algorithms produced, that the, the best medication was aspirin. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you think about all the, all the different medications that's used to, you know, to you know, clot blood and things of that right. nature and to stop bleeding. Um, you know, it, it really, so things like that can be done and have been done and have been done recently. And, uh, you know, but uh, that's about as close as I can think about something that uh, you know, technology has solved the problem. Uh, right. So Chris, that was going on at the time. Teaching has been a passion of yours. And I think it's one of those things that really made you one of the, the CIO choice because you were about giving back and teaching the next generation. Why are you so passionate about teaching and, and how important is it to be like a lifelong learner? Especially yeah, in well, sure. Well, Jonathan, it's, it's funny. Um, it's, uh, I, I don't know how I could have been a CIO for three, five, four decades, uh, you know, it was crazy, 33 years, uh, without 
my ability to to learn continuously right. uh, and, and it's not that I, I teach everything myself that people in a classroom learn I bring in expert teachers that are that are expert in security or expert in procurement or expert in system development life uh, design software design uh, strategic planning and a lot of them are, are friends of mine CIOs uh, known locally and nationally um, and this, I've been doing this for, you know, like I said, 33 years teaching IT management courses like this. And I've been bringing in guest speakers, even, even in contract negotiation, I would bring in lawyers that one would take the place of a, one would take the position of the vendor, one would take the position of the customer buying, you know, and they would sort of a uh, point counterpoint type going in front of our students in terms of how you negotiate good contracts for, for IT type of uh, services. So I learned a heck of a lot. So everyone uh, needs to, in this profession, needs to understand that what you've learned to get into this profession isn't going to keep you there. And th we've had so much increase, so much progress in best practices. Uh, so many different uh, technologies have been developed. Uh, you know, it's a very complex, very highly specialized. If you're going to run an IT department, you're going to have to understand and know so much more than just, you know, you got an input and output and processing going on. You have all these specialties and concerns and issues and innovations and how do you get to that? So we have courses like this. We teach it in the master's program. <clears throat> we, we have a chief information officer, executive education program and, right. and chief information uh, security program. officer program. Yeah. yeah. These are fantastic programs. They teach it's a practitioner type right. of programs where you learn, you get remedial information or you're getting okay. new information if you want to be a CIO. So uh, Carnegie Mellon, I think it, it gets it and I'm very happy to be part yeah. of that process. Yeah. It's yeah. great. I Listen, you, you are still going to teach. You're going to, you're going to have a chance to be celebrated and you know, you have been someone who has seen healthcare go through quite a journey, even though we're not where we need to be we're never where we need to be, right? I mean, it's always going to be a milestone that we need to achieve. Hopefully, my hope is through the pandemic that we will have accelerated some of the solutions like telemedicine, the integration, and the capabilities there. I was hoping that we would have virtual reality. But I just want to thank you, first of all, for, for being with us, telling us a little bit about your story. I know there's more to tell. And we're going to have some fun with you as we celebrate <laughs> the work that you've done and the work ahead because you're not finished july 15th pghtech.org sign up for it and chris who's your favorite drummer buddy rich oh, yeah. I, I, could buddy say gene, I could say gene krupa but buddy rich was my favorite what about, uh, like, ginger baker the, uh, do you remember what's ginger that baker? Chris. yes yeah 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 so buddy so, rich love buddy, buddy rich and Absolutely. Please tell, me, please tell me you have a drum kit down in the basement, right? Well, you know, I had many different drum kits in in my life, and uh, right now I don't have any. Uh, ah. But but I keep thinking about getting the electronic uh, drums. Oh, uh, really? So, yeah, I keep I keep looking at them and thinking about. It. My family wants me to do it, and they wants me to get it. But it's yeah. the idea. Yeah, but it's not like getting in front and jamming with others, you know. So sure. if I, if somebody said we want to go out and jam, I'd probably go out and buy a set of drums right now and do it. There you so, go. Man. I could probably find people for you. Do Good. it, please. Let me know. Give me a call tonight. Okay, Audrey, I'm waiting. I'm we'll serious. Well, now you're going to put me on it. I'm going to think about that. Absolutely. Right. I can't wait. Listen, I can't thank wait. You so much. Thank you so much for being with us. And thank you My for pleasure. your work. 
it's crystal thank ball. you thank you for the great work both of you do you know i hope i hope a lot of people listen to you and you know i do this and i'm walking uh, the podcast it's been amazing uh learning different aspects and dimensions that you bring about and different guest speakers you put on uh, so thank you for that it's it's a great value add thank you we're taking a quick break we've got more tech vibe radio chris kowalski cio choice go to pghtech.org this is jonathan kirsting and this is audrey russo I tell you what, Audrey, we are wrapping up the show in complete style today. We have our friends from BNY Mellon hanging out with us. And uh, I've been learning a little bit about their response to the whole COVID thing. And it's pretty amazing, the amount of work that had to happen. And we're going to hear that tale today. I'm pretty pumped up about it. I think it's cool stuff. That's great. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. It's called BNY Mellon. And uh, do you see how Jonathan comes from the old days, right? Yeah. Gotta keep, we got to keep telling them that that's not what it's called anymore. Not anymore, well, that's right. We're thrilled to have you on the show. So, let, so let's jump in and in, introduce everyone. So we sure. know who's going to talk and what the roles are. We have our old Absolutely. friend, Dave Sylvester, on the phone. Not yeah. that he's old, he's just a long-time friend. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thanks, Audrey. Great to be here. Yep, Dave Sylvester. I'm the Chief Operating Officer for one of our technology divisions. Hi, I'm Jess Manuel. I'm the Chief Operating Officer for our Technology Production Services Organization. Very cool. Great. And hi, I'm Trey Randall, and I'm the Global Technology Campus Leader. Wow. We got the, like I said, the whole cast and crew when it comes to all things, getting, getting them remote and operating and, and just keeping things moving smoothly. So I can't wait to hear your story, Dad. This yeah. is going to be a good one. So who, you want to kick it off, Dave, and set the stage? Yeah, absolutely. So that would be great. You know, um, I think all of us looking back at the last few months of, of COVID, you know, certainly that has impacted all of us on a, a very personal level. But of course, we can't uh, forget about the impact of the economy. And since BNY Mellon is such a big part of world financial markets, um, you know, managing trillions of dollars and, and many, many transactions every single day, um, the response to this was really important that, that for us to get it right. And uh, I think it is a really interesting story, uh, a, a great story of technology leadership, a collaboration with all of the different groups around the organization. Um, you know, we're, we're a firm that really focuses on resiliency. Um, the world financial markets demanded of us, the, our clients uh, expected of us. And so it's probably no surprise that in early March, we had been watching the virus. We had already started uh, a pretty, small-scale pilot of sending some uh, business-critical folks home working remotely. And, uh, you know, as things started to really heat up quickly, we realized we had to completely pivot and turn that into a large-scale exercise with just about all of our 50,000 employees around the globe working remotely. 50,000? Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's a lot of people going remote. And you're talking about trillions of dollars of transactions happening every day. Yep. So yeah, very, uh, <laughs> trying to look, looking back on it now and thinking about, um, you know, I, I don't think we could have really paused to, to think too much about it. Had we, uh, had we really thought about it in those terms, but, um, you know, we, we had to mobilize very fast. And as I said, it was a, an effort across the organization. So technology plus our enterprise resiliency office, um, plus operations and, uh, a lot of things, uh, had to happen in, in short order. So some things that, you know, t as a technology organization, we, we, that's what we are. We're not a necessarily a supply chain organization, but we became one very quickly hmm. trying to figure out how to um, move equipment around the world. Um, and I, we're going to share a few stories with you about how we did that. Some pretty interesting things that occurred. Um, 
and, you know, really just marshalling everybody that we had uh, around the globe, but, you know, in particular, all of us being very involved in the Pittsburgh effort, just an amazing uh, show of collaboration and spirit from everyone. Um, I remember those uh, couple of weeks in March when we were still in the office, a lot of us still all together around a conference table trying to figure this out. Um, definitely not social distance. So looking back, we probably should have done that a little bit differently, but, uh, but it all worked out. And, uh, you know, I think Jess, you, you've got probably some stories to tell for sure about how we got started. Yeah. What yeah, was the first step? Uh, yeah. So I'll call it the first Friday. It was that Friday right before uh, St. Patrick's day. Um, we, we were in the midst of making that pivot as Dave said, and it was three 30 on a Friday afternoon. And we realized, you know, we got the first call to action to say we have a ton of laptops that in Pittsburgh that need to be unboxed, received into our asset management system and imaged and be ready to go by Monday. Um, so to get that kind of ask on a 3.30, it was like, you know, a big inhale, but uh, in all honestly, in what I would consider true Pittsburgh fashion, I put an email out to my network and by four o'clock I had about 15 people ready to give up their weekend to do whatever it was going to take. And uh, these were folks that this is not their day job. Um, there were f everyone from all of our organizations, not technologists. They were different types of roles, but um, they were ready to do what it, whatever it took to get it done. And it was so nice to see like that the perceived silos just immediately went away very early on in this. So yeah, it was a, that was like the moment that we knew that this was going to be different. <laughs> well, I guess it was a good thing. The uh, parade was canceled that weekend. So you had plenty of time. <laughs> so funny. It's so funny listening to you talk about St. Patrick's day. I'm like, did that even happen? Did that happen? Yeah, yeah. No, it did not. <laughs> well, uh, let me tell you how we celebrated St. Patrick's Day. So as Jess said, you know, we, we started unboxing and imaging and getting all those laptops ready. We had laptops, we had monitors, we had so much equipment that we had to get out of Pittsburgh to a lot of our other locations. Um, we, and, and, you know, the other interesting thing was so many of the commercial shippers were just crushed. So we were trying to, to see if we could get, you know, the, the typical shippers to come in and help us. And, and nobody was available. Everybody was just crushed. So um, just as one example, St. Patrick's Day morning, we contracted with a busing company. We got party buses, a coach bus, and a bunch of us showed up at the loading dock at 4.30 that morning. Oh, my God. And we, we spent the next several hours loading hundreds and hundreds of monitors into these buses to get them to where they needed to go. Um, and, and, and that coach bus was making three stops, you know, stops at three different Northeast locations with a stop uh, in the New York metro area where the bus was met with a fleet of private drivers who unloaded a bunch of those monitors and took them to other locations, including a lot of employees' houses. So it was just one of those examples of, you know, doing whatever it takes to, to get the job done. It was just just really pretty amazing to watch and to be a part of, for sure. That's what I'm talking about. Private buses showing up and you're moving about What's the future now? What do you, what do you all think about the future? Well, you know, um, let's get there in a second, Audrey, but I, I just wanted to cap this off with a couple stats just to kind of show you just how big this effort was. So almost uh, just shy of 10,000 devices, laptops, desktops, and Chromebooks that we put together and got out in, in our employees' hands. Um, just shy of 6,000 monitors, just to give you an idea. 
Um, and there are some other things I think we want to come back to that we're really proud of a couple of moments that occurred during the, the midst of the crisis that we wanted to, to mention to you. But I think, you know, the current state, of course, just like all of us, uh, just like Pittsburgh Technology Council and, and you know, all of your listeners, uh, likely most of us are all, um, you know, working remotely, working via video conference, you know, obviously a very different environment. Um, but, you know, we had to sort of punctuate the, um, the, the never ending days of Zoom meetings with yet more Zoom meetings, right? So we, we, we had to make sure that people were feeling connected. So we hosted a, a number of all Pittsburgh technology open mic sessions so that we could all get together and hear what was happening and make sure we were all connected and, and still, you know, obviously wanted to make sure people were safe and healthy, but also working as best we could. Um, we did, I think, one of the earliest virtual uh, happy hours that I can remember mm-hmm. people talking about, right? At this point, people are tired of those, I know, but, uh, but we did one of those. So um, and, and, you know, we're also, we've been hiring throughout this process, including, um, you know, new college graduates and summer wow. interns. Right. And just imagine trying to pull that off in right. a completely virtual setting. And, and Trey was really uh, leading the charge on that. So she probably I'll can share some more details. Yeah, that sounds like, obviously, that became pretty crazy for you. What was up with that? It did. I mean, when I, when we got to June, we had to get 124 interns across the U.S. and in Europe virtually onboarded into our company. And we have another class starting in just about two weeks, 133 in India and 96 more in the United States. So we are getting everybody on the ground running. Their laptops, I mean, they have to be there before they start, which is a feat, as you could hear from Dave and Jess already. Um, we have to jump right into WebEx-based training because they're new. They need to learn all about the systems we use and learn how to navigate BNY Mellon. We also sent them some welcome packages, which was really great. I think they really appreciated them. They were like pens, notebooks, glasses, cups, mugs, um, and even some like wireless headphones so they could you know, be a little more comfortable with their time at home. I think the best part is, though, is the, this kind of virtual you know, happy hours that Dave talked about, we didn't just do happy hours. We were, you know, doing the normal biweekly check-ins. Everybody has those office hours, but we're starting trivia night with these interns. Ask me anything with some CIOs and leadership across technology, lunch and learns with these thought leaders and executives. And they are really enjoying this networking opportunity that we're giving them virtually that we didn't expect to be able to give them. Well, how did you... How are you able, I mean, first of all, that's amazing. And you should sell that as a service. How, <laughs> how did you able to rally everyone around to do all those different kind of tasks? Because they're more intense. They are more intense. And it took a lot of build up. I mean, for the interns alone, we have a great team. And I honestly could never have done it alone. That would have been a daunting task. But we have really energetic Uh, program managers that work with every group within our technology organization. And they reach out to these leaders. I mean, Nancy Rada, one of our leaders, she was right in there giving them welcome sessions. Um, We have different individuals giving new Java training that hasn't been even given before. So everybody was really excited. And we just wanted to pump everyone up for this. This is the biggest class we've ever had. And we want to keep having bigger and bigger classes. So we need to show our girth with this. We need to make sure everybody is excited. I feel like I know we're running out of time and I know I asked you about the future, but number one, I think there's a business model inside of here that other people can learn from. Absolutely. There's some way to capture a use case in terms of your work. I don't want to add more work to you, but I think we need to get the word out. (laughs) You actually did not give up on interns. Your staff rallied around, got yourself operational. You kept yourself um, creative. 
with a lot of good outcomes. Jonathan and I could tell you the amount of companies that even wrestled with thinking about bringing three interns on. Exactly. You guys are amazing. Like it, it blows my amazing. mind. It's such a cool story. It's all about leadership. Yep. It's all about leadership. And, and I can see it from the three of you here that we're doing this Zoom podcast with. Yeah, I think it's leadership. And I think it's also the spirit of the folks on the team. I mean, everybody just did what they needed to do. And wow. if you think about it, you know, those late days of March, that was a, a month end quarter end for us, the markets were going crazy, so much volatility, <laughs> exactly. record yeah. transaction volumes, and we didn't miss a beat. And that's all a credit to our great team. It was really amazing. What a cool story. I'm so glad you guys got to stop by and tell a little bit of it. Just people, everyone out there knows that this BNY Mellon as I say, Bank of New York, Mellon, really kicks butt, man. Simple. Really great. That. Yeah. Really but, great. But a great oh, way it was to great to visit with you. Absolutely. Thank you all so much. Thanks great. for having us. Thanks Thank for having you. us. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Tech Vibe Radio tonight. It's always a pleasure bringing you these awesome kick-butt stories of Pittsburgh's tech sector. This has been Jonathan Kirsting. And this is Audrey Russo. Learn more about the Tech Council by going to pghtech.org. We've got a brand new website. Check it out. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 